So what we've been doing on Wednesday nights, uh, Sunday mornings, I've been hitting it hard. And what I don't do, I've got a lot of notes. You can catch my notes on our website, victorychurchraleigh.com. We always post my notes there. And because uh, I never, ever say everything that's on my notes. But if you want more, more is there. But Wednesday night's what we want to do a little different slant. If you have questions about how to apply, how many know it's one thing to hear something, it's quite another thing to put it into practice. And, and in America, we don't just need to hear. We need to practice what we hear, right? Because that's how you grow. If I'm not practicing the things that I'm hearing, I'm not growing spiritually. Uh, spiritual growth has to do with me putting shoe leather on what the Lord speaks to me through his word and applying it to my life. And, and, and you know, sometimes that's a challenge. Sometimes we have questions about that. So tonight we have lots of questions. So Mira Short, executive pastor, is coming. She's got a microphone and I haven't even seen the questions. I have no clue, except I think it's about Sunday morning. Is that right? Everybody say hi, Mira. All right. Hi, everyone. Am I on? So okay. I'm going to turn it over to you, and uh, here we go. Okay. So here's our first one. This is on repentance. What if you repent and don't want to do something anymore ever, but life is just hard and it's just easier to just do it again? Does that mean that I'm really not saved? Well, you just added a big wrinkle there. Does that mean I'm really not saved? How many have never had to struggle with your flesh since you've been a Christian? Would you please raise your hand? Uh, after you've been a Christian, how many have never sinned since you've been a believer? Please raise your hand. Oh, oh, well, I didn't raise mine. I'm sorry. Uh, so if that were the case, nobody could be saved. Is that true? So, you know, we all have to deal with the flesh, but what, what we have to learn to do is subdue it. Repentance, really, if you want to summarize, has three uh, qualities. Uh, number one, renounce. Everybody say renounce. When I repent of something, I'm saying, God, inside me, I don't want that in my life anymore. So I renounce that in Jesus' name. I want to turn away from that, uh, whatever it is, and I'll let you fill in the blanks there. Uh, renounce, submit. Everybody say submit. And then obey. So three ingredients simple to repentance. Uh, renounce means, I, I, Lord, I don't want that in my life. Submit means go to the word, find out what the Bible says about it. Uh, the psalmist said the entrance of his word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So, uh, Psalm 119, 9, how shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to your word? Psalm 37, 31, the law of God is in his heart. None of his steps will slide. So the more of the word I put in. So if I've got an anger problem and I'm constantly getting anger, angry, raging words, saying things I shouldn't have said and having, you know, having to repent later, well, go to the word about anger and find scripture about anger and just read them, read them, read them. Me, I had a potty mouth when I came to Jesus in a lot of ways, curse words, uh, gossip, saying uh, a sarcasm. And, and I say, God, clean me up. So I went all through the book of Proverbs and I found scripture that had to do with words. And I read them, read them, read them, read them, highlighted them in my Bible. We didn't have the internet way back then in 1976. Highlighted them in yellow and I got them inside of me. And you know what? It started cleaning me up. And every Every time I would, I would say something, I shouldn't have said, Lord, I'm not going to do that again. I, I ask you to forgive me. I'm not going there again. And you know what? You break a habit one step at a time. You catch yourself after the fact and just keep catching yourself. Keep repenting. Eventually, you're in the middle of it. Nope, not doing that this time. And then eventually, just before you start to do it, I'm not going to do that. How many understand it's a process? 
Now, how many know God has mercy and grace for all of us? So just because you sin doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. Is that good news? That's good news. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us. Okay, moving on. I often feel guilty because I'm not praying or worshiping or doing something spiritual. But sometimes I just want to chill. Is this okay? Even though everyone says time is so short. Uh, you know, you have to fill your time with all kinds of things. And a balanced life is wise. Um, an imbalanced life will cause problems eventually. Uh, nobody can be on all the time. How many agree with that? Uh, you know, um, so again, rest times and, you know, they're just, there's just, uh, there are intervals to life. So yeah, we need time in the word. We need time to pray. We gotta, we gotta work. So for me, for me, when I think about that, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. How many know I can get up in the name of Jesus? I can go take a shower in the name of Jesus. That means I'm doing it like he would do it. I can, I can make breakfast in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, go to work, drive to work. So we do all the natural things in life. Walking with God doesn't mean you got your nose in the Bible 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, it, it, you wouldn't help anybody if it did that. But what it does mean is that everything you do, you're doing it as, as if Jesus would do that. So for me, I want to live a balanced life. I want to have time with the Lord every day. I do that when I first get up. You know, I, I uh, have to work, so I have time for work. Uh, I want to have a relationship with my children, so I make sure I text them if they were in my home. I'd relate to them every single day. If Since they're not in my home, I'm grown and married. Uh, text them, make contact with them several times a week. I do that. I want to be close to Susan, so I have a conversation with her every single day, eyeball to eyeball. We talk, we converse, we relate. Um, you know, you need physical exercise. If you don't, you're going to have problems as you age, yes or no? So you got to deal with physical exercise. You need to eat. You need, and then also, you know, just the way your mind and emotions work, you need time to chill out and relax. If you don't chill out and relax, you create your own problems. And so I try to fill my day with all of that. And, uh, you know, uh, leisure includes lots of things to all of us. Jesus told his disciples to come away and rest a while when the crowds followed them everywhere they went because everybody needs to chill. So walking with God doesn't mean, again, you're in church all the time or praying all the time or singing all the time or in the Word all the time. But it does mean you're in it enough that it gets inside of you and the rest of the time you spend, you're doing it in the context of what he would do. Is that good? Thank you, Pastor. So I have a coworker who is just so, so sweet and considerate, great friend. She lives with her boyfriend, but like everyone else, calls him fiancé. I know that this is wrong, but I can't get the nerve to tell her so. We have to work together. What is my responsibility here? So her co coworker is living with her boyfriend. Yeah. And she wants to say something and doesn't know what to say. Is that the question? And asking what is her responsibility. Yeah. Well, you know... Um, I can't be Holy Ghost to everybody, and neither can you. So what I do is I start praying for people. You know, um, if you want to be a friend to someone, find an area you can agree on. So if you're uh, working with people, relating to people throughout the day who don't know the Lord, obviously their lifestyle is not going to be yours, and their value system is not going to be yours. And, and you know, you've got, to, you've got to earn the privilege of saying something to someone, yes or no? If you haven't earned that privilege of, by being kind, by being friendly, by doing things for them, then you probably ought to be quiet because you, you'll create more problems than you solve. And so for me, you know, 
I just start praying for someone and say, Lord, if you ever want me to say something to them about that, you've got to open the door wide open and make it apparent. But if you'll pray for that person, pray that the Father would deal with them, John 6, 44. Command Satan to take his hands off of their minds, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of them that believe not. And then ask God to cause uh, people that know him and information about him to come across that person's path all day long. And if you'll do that, then maybe God will use you as one of those people that can speak to them. It may be about another topic first before you ever get to that. And maybe they're having a problem in some area of life. Maybe they're having a personal conflict within themselves and, and they ask you about something that has nothing to do with what you wanted, you think you should talk to them about, but that may be eventually an open door that sometime later you may be able to talk to them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Cool. Next question. I've heard you portray repentance as a fiery emotional experience that leaves you repulsed by sin, but can it be sometimes just a decision that we must make and stick to? A fiery emotional experience. I don't remember portraying it as a fiery emotional experience. Um, Repentance is a decision on the inside that I am done with a certain thing and I don't want that in my life anymore. What I was saying Sunday morning is we, um, repentance is an open door for a change of life and, and a new kind of lifestyle. The challenge we're having in America is we've wanted Jesus without repentance. We want to add him to the life that we're living but not change the life we're living. The very reason Jesus wants to come into your life is not only forgive your sin but transform who you are and how you live, right? And if that transformation is not being uh, is not taking place, I need to ask myself, have I really repented of my sin? And so the, the point I was making Sunday morning is, again, that, um, you know, you can ask God to forgive you but not really be repenting. And if you haven't repented of sin, there's really no life change. So um, there's remorse for sin. Remorse and repentance are two different things. Remember I talked about that. So, again, the answer to the question is, of course, you can say I'm done with that. I don't want that anymore. That's what happened with my potty mouth when I first came to the Lord. Uh, I had one expletive come out of my mouth a couple of weeks after I came to the Lord, and it so hurt me on the inside. Uh, I didn't mean to say it. I dropped a big can on my, on my big toe on my left foot, and it hurt like crazy. And bloop, I said it, and nobody heard me. I'm really glad, but it broke my heart. And because it broke my heart, I said, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. And that's, that's really, that's the, the, the step towards repentance is I'm done. I don't want that anymore. We can drop a can on your toes again and see how you I pass dare the you. Test. Go ahead and see what happens. <laughs> um, have you seen gradual repentance work like in someone who thinks that they can't make a clean break, slowly edging away from a behavior or thought pattern? Or is, it, is that asking for temptation? You know, let me just, you know, about anything in life that, that you, whatever it is in your life, my life, that you know shouldn't be there, whether it's an attitude, whether it's a behavior, whether it's a mindset. Sometimes internal things are just as bad as external things. And, you know, some people have a, a judgmental mindset. How many know that's just so bad? You know, if you have a judgmental mindset, it just affects so much. There's an air about you. So Psalm um, 139, 23, and 24, I dare you. <laughs> Oh, we used to say, I double dog dare you. Y'all still say that? To pray that prayer. Search me, O God. That's back in the 60s, like 70s. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my thoughts and see if there's any, and di- different translations say it different ways, and see if there's any uh, uh, wrong motive within me, a hurtful way in me, and lead me on the way everlasting. So I started praying this prayer. I'd, I'd been in the Lord for a few years. I was actually on a church staff, and I came across that verse, and God really tagged me and challenged me to begin to pray it. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to pray that. Search me, know my heart. Test me, know my thoughts. If there's anything in me that displeases you that I'm not aware of. How many know you can have some things? Somebody said you live life through colored glasses, the glasses of your own experience. So there's some things that we can be doing that our families did. You can have a mindset, a behavior, an attitude, a way of a conversation, communication, response, or some fleshly thing, whatever. But it's so familiar to you because it's, it's always been part of your life since you were young. And, and it was part of your family or your brothers, your sisters, your mother, father. Those kind of things, they're so familiar to us that we don't even realize they're in our life. And it takes either a trusted friend to say, can I talk to you a minute? And then, you know, that often doesn't go well. But what if the Holy Spirit says, can we talk? And I've had many times when I started praying that prayer, search me, oh God, know my heart, you know. Uh, for the first while, nothing happened. But I really became undone, so to speak, on the inside. And I began to see things I'd never seen before in me. Perfectionism, the way I treated Susan, the way I would have treated, this is even before we had children. And uh, I, I saw that I would be very, very hurtful as a father if, if I didn't make some changes. And, I, and God began to deal and speak to me very, very definitively about some things in my life. And, and you know, he still does. If you ever pray that prayer, it's a prayer that just kind of keeps on and on and on and on. Uh, throughout your life. And I think I think even in eternity we're going to be changing. I think it's going to be cool. So that's a good way to, to make repentance. We'll start praying that prayer. How many would, would, would be willing to do it? Raise your hand. I dare you to do it. I dare you to do it. Let's see what happens. Go ahead. So as it relates to pornography and those who entertain it, would this not be equivalent to fornication for the single and adultery for the married? And the second part to the question, as a married believer, is that person not lying to God and their spouse if they engage in pornography? You know, pornography is an invasive. I dropped it there on purpose. There we are. Pornography is an invasive problem in our culture today, and it's easily accessible by anybody with a cell phone, an iPad, or a computer. And so Jesus was very clear that in Matthew chapter 5, if you look, whoever looks on a woman with lust has committed adultery already with her in his heart. And now the issue with our culture is both, now men, just the way a man's sex drive works, a man's sex drive is related to his eyes. But now the problem is because of the pervasiveness of pornography, women are, are lusting like men as well. It's just a crazy, crazy time to so all of us have to be willing to deal with ourselves. It's, it's, giving, it's giving yourself and it's, uh, it's allowing an area of your life to be satisfied if you're married by someone other than your spouse. And how many know that is sin? And so it's not, is it the, exactly the same as physical adultery? Well, with physical adultery, you're hurting another person and you're, you're specifically you're specifically hurting their life and affecting them. And then others can see that. This is a very private sin that every, everybody else can't always see. 
But yes, it does create a rift and a breach between a husband and a wife. Does that make sense? So yes, it's, it's, as, it's serious. I want to say it's, it's you know, internally as serious as uh, physical adultery or physical fornication. But when you cross a line into a physical act, you, you cross a barrier and there's a whole lot more people affected than you and, and your marriage partner. How many hear what I'm saying? So, you know, you, you, uh, they're both equally bad, but uh, this one needs to be dealt with very, very seriously. And usually a person overcomes pornography not by themselves. They probably need to go to a trusted friend and say, look, I'm having a problem. I need God's help, and I need him to minister life to me. I'm, I'm involved in this, and I need to be set free, and they need accountability. So the first step is repentance. You know, if you're involved in it, go to your spouse. That's going to be a big challenge because that that porn is taking the place that the spouse should have. Yes or no? And uh, go to you know, uh, as God God may deal with you as you as you repent of that. If you're a man and a woman, or a woman involved in pornography, He may deal with you to go to your spouse and say, you know what. I've just messed up really bad and I have come clean with the Lord. Initially, that can cause a real breach and a break and a harm and uh, it'll take the spouse some time to overcome. So you may want to find some uh, a counselor or someone, a really strong, trusted f- friend, maybe even uh, someone on the pastoral team or someone that can help you uh, be accountable and then work through the emotional issues of that. It's a really big problem today and uh, we as believers need to be serious about it. How many hear me? There's hope and help for someone bound by pornography. And uh, we have, we, uh, let me just say, we've got men in our congregation that have had to wrestle with pornography and have become free. So, you know, if you're here and you've, got, you've been challenged with that, with that problem, you know, reach out and, and ask someone, uh, find someone that you can trust that won't, you know, uh, uh, dangle your problems in front of everybody else and ask them to pray for you. And ask them to keep it to themselves. But there's a, there's a, so we got some good men in our congregation that can be a blessing and that can be a, a friend, a confidant, and also can be a support so you can overcome that. And women struggle a lot too. Yes, they we do. We have women who have dealt with that here as well. Um, you said that a deceitful mirage of repentance is remorse. Can you elaborate on remorse being a mirage for repentance? Well, I mentioned the scripture on Sunday morning, and let me scroll. Here it is right here. Uh, remorse is, well, I, here's, here's my notes from Sunday morning. It said, millions of people have prayed a prayer for salvation, but have never followed through with a yielded life. They experience remorse, but not true repentance. And then the next note from Sunday morning, remorse is a deep and painful regret for what you've done. But it doesn't mean that you made a choice to stop what you're doing so that's remorse you know a person's remorseful how many of the kids you got caught doing something but if mama ain't looking i'm gonna go do it again that's remorse you know uh so second corinthians seven ten for the kind of sorrow uh and in parenthesis conviction god wants us to experience leads us away from sin and the results in salvation there's no regret for that kind of sorrow which that's repentance but the worldly sorrow or guilt which lacks repentance results in spiritual death so again remorse you know a person feels bad because they got caught and they're ashamed and it's hurt their pride perhaps but remorse doesn't mean that I've made a personal decision that I don't want to do that anymore 
And, uh, you know, for some people it takes some, you know, it takes challenges. It takes God saying, you know what, I'm backing up. You want to be involved in that, go ahead. And you'll get in deeper, deeper, deeper conflict internally, trouble externally. And, uh, you know, something's going to happen, though, that just may move you to a point that, you know what, I'm ready to forsake that thing because that is hurting my life. Does that make sense? So the pain, what is that? Y'all know that? The pain to... uh, the pain to remain the same has to be greater than the pain to change. Do you get that? How many of you have experienced that in your life? I just can't do this anymore. The conflict's too great. You know what I'm saying? So I've got to make a change. So that leads to repentance. Thank you, sir. If repentance goes lifelong, does this mean that I repent daily? Mm-hmm. You know, I advocate living a lifestyle of repentance. That means... If there's anything that comes up in my life that I know God is displeased with that will hurt me, that will hurt someone else, that will mar my relationship with him or in some way defame him or in some way hurt another person that I'm relating to, you know, I want to be willing to say, God, I don't want that in my life anymore. And so living a repentant lifestyle means that anytime something comes up that I say or do that I know is wrong, I'm ready right now to make it right. Uh, I want to mention this again. Uh, when I first came to the Lord in 1976, there was this guy who was going to Bible school uh, who was working with me at a grocery store when I first came to the Lord, and I was going to school to be an electronics engineer at the time. And, um, and I don't know, he, I came to the Lord over a weekend on a, on a Sunday, and then Monday I came to work, and I was a transformed person. And he, never, he made a statement I never forgot. I, he said, you know how you can tell how spir- spiritual a person is? And, of course, that intrigued me. I said, well, well how? Because I just came to the Lord and I wanted to grow spiritually. He said, um, spirituality could be determined by how quickly you repent when you know you do wrong, how quickly you ask forgiveness. And that, that has stuck with me over the years. So, you know, when you say something you shouldn't say, treat someone in a way that you know harms them, or you do, you, or it's an internal thing that nobody sees, but God tags you. How long does it take you to say, God, I'm wrong? First John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, that was wrong. I judge it. Forgive me for ever going there and doing that in Jesus' name. So if you wait half an hour, or if you wait two hours, or you wait till you get home, no, 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 do it now. That's a lifestyle of repentance. Thank you. Um, can you explain, or let me go back to this one. What is the fruit of repentance, Matthew 3, 8? Uh, the fruit of repentance is a changed lifestyle. In fact, um, this is good right here. Um, I mentioned Sunday morning, and I, I don't know if I did both services, but um, John the Baptist preached repentance, getting the Jews ready for Jesus to come. So uh, he told him to repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. So the people ask, what shall we then do? Which is a valid question. So how do I follow through with repentance? And he gave them specific things to do. Um, he who has two tunics, let him give uh, to him who has none. If you've got two coats, give one away. Uh, and him who has food, let him do likewise. You got food, give some of your food to someone else. See, that's, a, that's, that's repenting. That's showing that I'm not, I'm not the selfish person I was. I'm becoming unselfish, and I'm acting on it. Then he said, uh, the tax collectors came to him, 
and said, what will we do? And he said to them, repentance for them was collect no more than what is appointed. And I mentioned Sunday morning that they would sometimes go uppers of 40 to 50% extra tax. They would charge someone uh, over what the Roman Empire said and they would pocket that money and they were the wealthiest people in town because they stole people's money. So repentance meant, meant they only charged the tax the Romans said to charge and no more. They weren't padding their pocket. Does that make sense? So again, so to answer the question, uh, and he said, the soldiers came, said, and what shall we do? Don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So the soldier, the Roman soldier's position went to his head. He wielded his authority over everybody and everything. And, and they were mean and angry and uh, insulting. He said, stop doing that. Be kind to people. Be fair with people. See, repentance has to translate into an action. So, so for me, I repented of, of, of allowing my words to be filled with uh, venom, uh, to say things that would harm and defame others. One big thing I had to repent of was sarcasm. Um, and, and sarcasm cuts another person down so, you, so it makes you look better, and it's, it's supposed to be funny with a little twinkle in your eye, but hey, it hurts the other person. And God had to deal with me about sarcasm, so I said, you know what? I'm going to stop doing that. And the way I repented was every time I found myself doing it, I said, you know what? I'm sorry I said it that way. That was wrong. And then I asked God to forgive me, and now it's not, I don't think it's a part of my life. I don't like sarcasm like that. <laughs> it's a yeah. bad thing. <laughs> Okay, how do you get to the point of wanting to repent if you don't know that you're wrong, but your flesh doesn't want to? If you know that you're wrong, but your flesh doesn't want to stop. That's that's where that's we you know Psalm one thirty nine twenty three and twenty four. God help me not to want what you don't want me to have. Start praying that God, I want. You know, sometimes you got to be gut level with God, and and you know, I found for me. Um, that if I would just be honest with him, say, God, I, I want to be that way. I want to feel that way. I want to act that way. But God, I know it's wrong. Help me not to want what you don't like. Does that make sense? I've prayed that over a lot of things in my personal life. You know what? He's begun to challenge and change me. When I was younger, pride was an issue. Wanting to be seen and heard was an issue. Um, wanted to have the upper hand in any conversation Wanted to win, wanting to win every con- those were big things for me, you know, even as a young man. And and I began to cry out, God, that's so wrong. You know, I, I have such a forward to me. I I could have had a, a have had, and maybe I still have a pushy personality. If you got a personality like mine, you get things done. You get what I'm saying. So I've had to temper that and and corral that bull so he doesn't hit the china closet. And to do that, I've had to seek God and say, Lord. Take the desire for that out of me. And part of me liked that. Part of me liked being in charge, being in control. I say, God, take that out of me. And it was, uh, mm, that was hard, really hard, because that, uh, that was a part of me for a long time. But, you know, if you will really sincerely say, God, I want that, but I don't want to want it. I've said that a lot to the Lord. I want that, but I don't want to want it, you know. Maybe for you it's overeating. I love, I love pie. I love ice cream. I love Bojangles, but I eat too much. So whatever, I'm making a joke, but you see what I'm saying. Help me not to want what you don't want me to have. That's, That's the first step. That's good. Can you explain brokenness in relation to humility? You stated that you did not like that word at all. 
<laughs> so um, Sunday morning, there's a book. Uh, I really encourage you to get this book and read it. You can find it. Let me see. I have it on um, iBooks. I'm not sure it's on Amazon yet. I haven't looked recently on Amazon. I have iBooks. I have Amazon books, Kindle. So on iBooks, you can find the Calvary Road. You can also find a hard copy. I think you can buy a hard copy on Amazon. Uh, but anyway, Calvary Road is a book written in 1950 as the results of, I think, revivals in maybe Indonesia, some of these islands and such. And uh, uh, my mother had the book. She came to really had an, a, a strong experience with Jesus in 1975. I had it the following year. She gave me the book, said, read the book. First chapter is on brokenness. And uh, the second chapter I actually read to the men a couple of weeks ago. And that's why I talked about it Sunday morning. But the first chapter mentions brokenness. And he says, so, so the Calvary Road by Roy Hessian, H-E-S-S-I-O-N. If you don't have the book, I encourage you to read. It really is a challenging book. It really challenged some things that I didn't realize were sin in my life as a very young believer. But anyway, his, his, his definition for brokenness is the attitude of humility to the conviction of God. And I really, really like that. I'd never, I'd never thought about it. I don't like the term brokenness. I don't like it. You know, as, as a man, because I'm a fix-it person. I've always been. I like to fix things, you know. And so if something broken, I got to fix it. But when you think about brokenness in this other way, brokenness is my attitude of God. I don't think I know everything. I don't think I'm right, you know. And you know what? I humble myself. So let me say this. Uh, when I, when me, for me, uh, when I first came to the Lord, I came across this uh, scripture in Isaiah that really stuck out to me and has stuck with me over the years. It's Psalm 57, verse 15. This is amplified because my Bible's turned to that. For the high and lofty, for the high and exalted one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, says this, I dwell in the high and holy place, but also with the contrite and humble in spirit in order to revive the spirit of the humble Revive the heart of the contrite ones. So for me, I've learned because pride has been a thing for me. I say, God, I, I humble myself in Jesus' name. Anytime I talk to the Lord, Lord, I humble myself. So brokenness is the attitude of, of humility to the conviction of God. When he deals with me, say, Lord, Lord, I'm wrong. Help me not to want to do that anymore. So I think these two questions go hand in hand. Taking You mentioned taking God out of a box, um, how do I know if I've put him in a box? And if I have, how do I take him out of it? And the other one was you talked about Jesus being placed on a shelf. You know, how do I know that I'm doing this? So. Well, again, in the context, to answer the second, well, first, Jesus being placed on a shelf. I mentioned Sunday, um, you know, I went to a, a Hindu temple and they had all the others, uh, at least 25 Hindu gods, maybe 30. And Jesus was on the very end with all these Hindu gods, you know. I said, that's crazy. It's crazy. Huh? I didn't want to miss anything, that's for sure. But, you know, the idea is you got to, you know, Jesus, he's got to be number one. I mean, one of the Ten Commandments is, I will have no other gods before me. And, um, you know, the very last verse of 1 John 5 is, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And, uh, and so Jesus wants to be number one, not one of many. So all of us have to deal with that. Some people aren't willing to make life changes that are necessary. Taking God out of a box just, you know, uh, 
I don't know how to define that. I mean, I guess uh, somebody, maybe you can do it better than me. You know, you can find God, well, he's only like this. He can't do something extraordinary or different than what you think he could do. God's bigger than you could ever imagine, guys. He's and, limitless. Uh, huh? It's limitations that we place on That's the right. I mean, take the limits off of him. He can, he's able to do what? Exceeding what? Abundantly above? That's him. Created the universe. And uh, everything he does and says in your life doesn't always fit squarely in your little box that you create and I create for him, does it? So I found that to be true. Here's a doozy. Some things aren't explicitly mentioned as sin in the Bible, such as watching horror movies, listening to non-explicit secular music. Some of my Christian friends often talk about how they don't allow this into their their homes, and it makes me just feel like I'm being judged by them because I don't feel a conviction about some of these things. Is this still a sin? How does repentance figure in um, when there is not conviction over a specific thing? You know, um, I came across this verse right here in my young years in Jesus, and uh, it stuck with me all these years, and it answers a lot of things, and and it's cleaned a lot of things up for me in my own personal life. Um, I'm trying to get the right translation, so hang on a second. Here's New King James. Here we go. Uh, whatever you do, this is first, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, everybody say whatever you do. In word or deed, see, word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? That's saying, Lord, if you were here, you'd do it this way. So if you're listening to something, would Jesus listen to that? Does that glorify God? Does that build up your spiritual life? Does that help you spiritually? Does that give him glory? Does it give him more room? Or does it just kind of put it out there and put your mind on other things than the Lord and have a, have a dampening effect on your spiritual life. That's something we all have to think about, isn't it? So that verse for me has helped me a lot, and I've thought about it a lot, particularly in my younger years. I still think about it now, but whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I think the Amplified even brings out an independence on his person. So I'm gonna listen to this music. Don't you love this, Lord? And then what are the lyrics saying? What is it pointing to? Is it portraying the flesh in the way it shouldn't be? Is it, uh, is it, does it have pride involved in it? Or is it, just, is it just thinking that is sanitized from anything spiritual that won't help you in life? You just got to make those kinds of decisions yourself. He doesn't leave the room ever. It's truth. Yeah. Um, this is, please explain how... Um, the importance of the Trinity is in Christianity. And here's the premise to this. Uh, I have friends that don't believe in the Trinity. Hmm. Yeah, you know, there are, you know, um, there are Jesus-only people that believe there's Jesus only. And uh, there are denominations that believe it's only Jesus. So, And we have them in Raleigh, for instance. So, you know, if you go to the Scriptures, it's very clear you know, when Jesus was baptized, Jesus was in the water. The Holy Spirit wasn't a dove, but he descended as a dove. He came upon Jesus. And then the Father spoke from heaven, uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And some people thought it thundered. So it's clear there's the Father who is in heaven, seated on a chair called a throne. 
There is the Holy Spirit who is the ever presence of God and he's universe wide. And, um, and then there's the, the son of God who the scripture says is now seated at the right hand of God, the father. So it's really hard. It's the, 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 you know, you could talk a long time about the Trinity, uh, this theological courses on the Trinity. It's really challenging to think about it because, you know, I'm me and you're you, but we serve a triune God so, so they're three separate entities, but one. See, that doesn't even make sense to your head, your rational thinking mind. They're one in thought. One of the classes I took way, way years ago, that's the best way I've heard it explained. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're one in thought, one in intent, one in purpose, one in motive. Everything about them is exactly the same. They all have exactly the same attributes. It's the same God manifested in three different ways. So how does that help me in life? Well, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and he makes Jesus, his, his goal is to make Jesus real to me and to bring glory to God the Father. And, uh, and Jesus is our savior from sin and he, uh, he identified himself with our humanity. And see, knowing Jesus helps you understand that he went through everything that you faced and he, uh, every sin every challenge, every temptation, and he, he did it right and never did it wrong, and he took your place. So knowing Jesus really helps us identify with the fact that we are human, but we can overcome our humanness because he did. Knowing God the Father, you know, there's just something about human personality. God created us to be raised in a family with a mother and a father, and our mothers and our fathers and the love that they have for us really should exemplify and show us the love of God the Father. So God the Father, his overarching care, his shepherding ways, his loving characteristics, we need we need all three of them, and we need them desperately. But, you know, I don't separate and segment them in my mind. I, I pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, depending on the Holy Spirit. They just kind of work together. Uh, I don't sep- they don't have separate compartments inside of me, but I don't pray to the Holy Spirit. Jesus never said to do that. No, he said pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And then we use the name of Jesus against the enemy because Jesus defeated our enemy for us, and his name is known in hell, so I could go on and on. Okay, thank you. What does arise, shine mean? Arise, shine. Uh, how about pay attention, stand up right, you know, face this thing, arise, don't let this thing get you down, shine, uh, shine has to do with the glory of God, arise, shine, your light has come, I'm, I'm assuming it's a reference to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, arise, shine, the apostle, uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah said, arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, uh, I think he's saying, face up to what's going on. Don't turn around, face it, shine. That means let what's on the inside of you out and, and, and let the glory of God exude from you. I think that's what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe you have a different idea of it. That's what I think. All right, we've got one more on this list. Um, what does it mean to have clean hands and a pure heart? Hmm, clean hands and a pure heart. Obviously, clean hands is uh, everything you do gives glory to God and you're not going to be involved in things that, uh, that don't bring him glory, honor, credit, sinful things, clean hands, uh, uh, sinless hands, sinless behaviors, clean hands, a pure heart. 
A pure heart's a heart that wants to know God. Don't forget, and see, saying all this to summarize, go back and read uh, Psalm 51. I mean, it, it's always intrigued me that, that David is in the lineage of Jesus and that he's, and it's called the throne of David. Jesus is going to be seated on the throne of David for eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but that just, I said, man, wait a minute. Why didn't you get somebody who didn't, who didn't lust, who didn't commit adultery, who didn't commit premeditated murder? Why are you using somebody like that and you're going to be seated on a throne at, named after him? I think God's making a point that his grace covers you, cleanses you, frees you, empowers you. Just because you've made a mistake doesn't mean that God can't help you out of that. Isn't that awesome? What was the question? I forgot the question. I got all wrapped up in that. What does it mean to have clean hands and a pure oh, heart? That's okay. <laughs> so did David have clean hands and a pure heart? God cleansed him. He had soiled hands and a nasty heart. <laughs> but God cleaned him up. Can, can God clean us up? If, they, if God can clean David up in the Old Testament, can he clean us up in the New? That's the bigger question for me. So see, when I think about it like that, clean hands and a pure heart, God, if you can do it for David, you can do it for me, you know? That's I good. mean, Moses killed a man, but God used him to deliver Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and took them right up to the promised land, but he couldn't go in because he disobeyed God. <laughs> 